Chapter 7 Future's Fate and Time Part 2 Unprecedented Listeners, christeners, and exalted parishioners to not forget the auditioners and, of course, good evening, commissioners. The listeners can predict it. The future's fate's a misfit. Intrinsic to extrinsic events predestined since writ. One. Kaya Hennessy was a girl who had never managed to land on her feet. No matter what life threw at her, she always landed on her head. She had been through college, not attending mostly, but graduating by the skin of her teeth. Or at least, that's the story she planned to tell if anyone ever cared to ask. Between thought and action comes temptation. Always. In this surprisingly comfortable hospital bed, Kaya mused on the origins of her predicament. Which one? She said, hearing herself this time. Yours or mine? The her that she was talking to replied. Kaya did not like the answer. It made her dwell on a past she had always thought was at least slightly based on a long-form and extremely elaborate multiple-choice game show. A fucking sadistic one. As far as her vivid, selective, selectively vivid, and vividly selective brain was concerned. As she approached her twenties, Kaya had begun to notice that there were some addicts who either get stuck in the rut of self-reflection, over-analyzing every tiny detail of their own lives, or those who make their lives about other people in order to ignore, or perhaps pacify their own. But Kaya Hennessy was of the opinion that there was a time and a place for both, and so, in a sense, she was a rare breed, a dying one even. Especially now. The human body is the human body after all, and sometimes you think you can handle things you just can't. When bad things don't happen, you use drugs to have fun, to enjoy life, to alter your interpretation of the world you live in, both inside and out, even if it's for as little as a few hours. On the other hand, when bad things do happen, they're an escape route, and that, in some cases, can lead to madness. It is seen by many as the emergency exit, something to take the pain away temporarily. That's a solution, but it depends on the perspective of the society and the consumer in question. The justification for that could be that it's only temporary if you stop using, or until it kills you. Addiction can seldom be temporary, but the madness it could possibly drag along with it is something that Kai believed never went away, and to some extent, she was alright with that. It meant that she could carry on, she would keep being mad, and everything would be alright. And she genuinely believed that. The one thing she didn't do was drink alcohol, excessively anyway. Twice a year, Christmas and New Year, if that. And it wasn't because she had decided that she had enough drugs in her system to suit a smiling, suffering drug addict undergoing a detox and blood transfusion. It was because it was what everyone else did. And, being what she was, gifted and troubled if you were talking to her mother and or grandparents, or crazy and cursed if you were talking to her father or any of the crazy friends Kaya had managed to cobble together over her experience and time as a drug user. Users tended to hang out with other users, but there were varying levels of addiction that different personality types tend to inhabit. If you have the gift, or curse, of vivid auditory and visual hallucinations that impart information about herself and others that Kaya didn't, 
or couldn't have acquired elsewhere when she was sober. Drugs, mostly illegal ones, tended to be the only thing available on this planet that put her mind in some semblance of order, calmed her down, made it easier for her to reason things out, explore her mind at a pace she would set herself, rather than the brain she was born with. And without stunting its early or adolescent development with antipsychotics suitable for children than teenagers, to Kaya, LSD was far more interesting and far safer in controlled usage. She felt it made her more interesting, deeper, tougher. Her and all the other people wandering around up there. Were they ghosts from a former past of hers? Or a future that some, but not all of her, was yet to live? She didn't know. What Kaya did know, however, was that she was... Ugh. What was that word? Oh yeah, she was... Don't say it, whispered an internal voice. Oh, oh, I think I'm gonna say it. She stammered aloud and hazily. Don't you fucking say it. You know you hate it, bitch. You know I hate it. You know we all hate it. I think that's why I have to say it, bitch. This last word came out several decibels higher than the rest of her sentence. The door to her room opened a crack, then, hearing silence, closed again. Different, she said in a violent whisper. That's what she was, what she had always been, what other people, with varying degrees of acceptance, had always seen her as, and her brother Ezra. God damn different. Sometimes what Kaya thought was that she deserved to be different. Sometimes she felt that she had already done enough for one life, some of her anyways because she didn't think that she was ever meant to make it this far. Neither did Ezra, and she knew that for a fact. She felt it, and how could she not? Kaya didn't want to look to the future, and so she only looked to the past to motivate her to continue to live in the present. The future was more terrifying for those who could actually see it. And so, if she did live, if, after all of this, she could live, she would continue to do so by her motto. Live in the present. Look to the past. If you look ahead too often, and you die before your time, you'll regret not regretting it. But was her perspective wrong? Was there even a right or wrong answer when it came to perspective on life itself? No. Kaya decided there wasn't. Kaya knew she wasn't fit to be a mother. That was plain, as plain as the beauty spot on her freckled left cheek. Yet she couldn't bring herself to terminate the pregnancy despite the medical advice of her mother and the emotional empty demands of her dead-eyed father. He was right about one thing, though. She did relapse. Came to the precipice of losing the little one many times, not least because not everyone who lived in her body wanted another unwelcome guest that actually had form, matter, the ability to breathe, and sleep, and live an independent life of its own growing inside them. Some inside her head were supportive, some weren't just like in her outer world. Kai knew that she wouldn't have come this far without patience, but it wasn't patience that belonged to her, or anybody else inside her head for that matter. It was a virtue that seemed to belong, that did belong, to everybody else. It seemed to be something that her twin had in droves. That was one thing that Kai didn't understand about Ezra, maybe would never understand. He had what she had, could see what she saw, that she knew. And yet his patience was saint-like and his control over his outbursts deeply impressive. Maybe that was because he had buried himself in more books and media than drugs. Although he was no stranger to them, it was more her thing than his. Together, Kaya sometimes felt that they were almost unstoppable, her and Ezra. 
Kaya's mother's support tended to stop at the medical, which, although a lot of medicinal properties tended to define most of Kaya's recent existence, wasn't all a daughter required from a mother, growing up or currently, and it wasn't as if her brother's patience was necessarily powerful enough on its own to stop the adoption agency from taking her baby away from her. Not even the influence her father possessed due to his shares in a pharmaceutical company carried by this very hospital, Ravensheart, through his work on wall, could do that. Bribes had been taken out of the equation thanks to Kaya's attempt to swipe Vicodin from the station downstairs in full view of an agency member. That, she knew, was on her. Mostly. The criminal record didn't help. That one wasn't her fault. There had been times throughout the pregnancy where she had hoped she would miscarry, so that she wouldn't have to endure the pain of never getting to watch this tiny thing grow. But then she realized that was selfish. The child deserved to live, even if she wasn't the one to raise it. Hell, it wasn't like her mother raised her anyway. Not really. Knowing that she would be classed as an unfit mother, despite her own mother fighting her case, even she couldn't spin the toxicology results without either getting done for malpractice or ruining her ethics on behalf of an innocent child going to someone who eats cocaine for breakfast, meant that all she could hope for was that her baby would go to a good family that would give her all the opportunities, all the life she deserved. On the 6th of June 1991, that bittersweet dream had turned into a near reality. Kai had barely had a chance to hold the life form that she had been brewing for nine months of her life before it was snatched out of her arms and placed into a cot out of Kaya's reach. Even the lawyers were attending birth partners. Kaya knew that that wasn't normal, but she was a bit too busy to mention it. Kaya also remembered the doctor's words after viewing and reading aloud her toxicology screening results, just after the baby was born and just before social services signed the baby away for good. I don't know how you did it, Miss Hennessy. He exclaimed, moving his eyes closer to the results, most likely checking to see whether or not he needed to make a visit to an optician. And nor do I know how she did it either, he had added, pointing down at Kaya's stomach before then gesturing over to the sleeping newborn. Perfectly healthy, physically at least. Kaya's stomach was no longer filled with life. That life could now breathe on its own. All that was left inside Kaya was nothing but something she had never felt before, or most of her didn't feel very often. And so, at the same time, she knew exactly what it was. Regret. And that made her cry, made her pull her dry, ropey hair all down her face. Although still a deep, punchy brown, naturally wavy and somehow not yet prematurely grey, it had seen better days. Later, she requested a new doctor. A man who seemed to be living in the corner of her eye, since she had been admitted to the hospital days before. Who none of the other doctors seemed to directly acknowledge and who possessed a face that she kept seemingly forgetting. Why didn't I kill it? Why didn't I just fucking kill it? She said these words to herself, quietly, as the social worker came in, with a look of slightly forced sympathy on her face. Is it time? Kaya asked, not making eye contact, which wasn't uncommon for her. It's time, the social worker said, simply. Are you doing okay, Miss Hennessy? This time, Kaya decided to look her in the eye, deliberately ignoring the question. Will you pansies hurry it up a little? Ironically, I haven't got all night. The social worker had cleared her throat, her look of sympathy increasing yet dissipating. The woman stepped forward tentatively, eyeing the clipboard sitting at the bottom of Kaya's bed. Kaya decided to smile through slightly yellowed teeth, her bright black eyes focusing in against the worker's weakening, sickening violet. Kaya was smiling in a way that said, If you don't hurry up and get out, 
I'm going to kill you. And an eyebrow raised that added, Don't feel too sorry for me. Just look at what it says on the paper attached to that clipboard. There's a reason why you're taking her away, remember? And by the way, those bunny ears coming out of your head don't fucking suit you. Your personality doesn't deserve them. All of this was said with nothing but lips, teeth, eyes, eyebrows, and a lifetime experience of scaring the crap out of people. The smile did the trick, as it always did. If I'm honest, listeners, I'm almost proud. She learned that from me, you know. After retrieving the clipboard from hell, the social worker told her that she would be back in ten minutes, giving a sideways glance to the sleeping baby as she exited. Kaya found herself lying there, with her head back, staring up at the bright lights of the ceiling, and that was when her future came into perspective. But thanks to the pain relief, she could view it as a spectator, rather than a direct participant. Sure, she could see the future, but only the far future. Her near-future senses had been garbled by the drugs. Am I screwed? She had said, to no one in particular. She thought it had been to herself, when she realized that the Icona Doctor, who had been around since she'd gone into labor, and seemed to be the only one still watching her and the baby, was still sitting a few meters away from her bed, gazing at her. His chair seemed to be floating. Or perhaps he was. There was justification for Kaya Hennessy being under observation, given her history and her current status combined. She didn't have a recorded history with suicide attempts, but everybody has to start somewhere. And in the eyes of the social workers, that was probably the opinion they had formed, that taking the baby away from her was going to cause her so much pain, she would immediately seek to end it all. Just then she remembered she was delicately handcuffed to the bed, by her left hand. Define screwed, the doctor said, slowly, in an accent she couldn't quite place. Ezra would know. Kai didn't know what kind of response she was expecting, but she sure as hell wasn't expecting an honest question, as opposed to some fake crumb of comfort. Well, what do I do now? She asked, with a rasp of weakness in her voice. I thought you didn't care about that, the doctor replied. It's all in the file. Fuck the file. Kaya had grunted, almost viciously. And that was when the doctor sprang up, almost striking a pose in the air before landing on his heels, and finally standing still, letting his lab coat flare. Exactly, said the doctor. Exactly what? Kaya asked. What you just said, said the doctor. Kaya was confused. What? You mean, fuck the file? Fuck the file, the doctor repeated, now coming closer to her. As his proximity increased, Kaya could see he didn't look like a conventional doctor. She had been in a great deal of pain during the birth, and so had failed to notice his neon green hair and the accented consecutive scars on both of his temples. They were almost key-shaped. Both of his ears were pierced at the lobes, and the way he carried himself just didn't ring true of a medical practitioner. Take it from someone who knows, love, he continued. Blood is thicker than water. He stopped by the cot of the sleeping baby and gazed. Then he looked over at Kaya, and she could almost feel him feeling her daughter's heartbeat with his still hands. Kaya's rate was increasing rapidly. She's going to be fine. He turned then, and covered the final short distance between the cot and Kaya's hospital bed. And so are you. Although slightly and unintentionally mesmerized by the doctor's physical features, the feeling of regret topped with emptiness was nowhere near washed away. How do you figure? She asked, smiling without humor, almost laughing without it. 
He smiled then, and Kaya could see that his teeth were silver and slightly serrated at the edges, as if he had been filing them into certain shapes like he would with your nails. He looked up at Kaya's heart monitor, the smile still on his face, then at her drip. May I answer that question with another question? Why the hell not? Kaya said, simpering. Who's for some level awesome narcotics? You're joking, right? The doctor said nothing. He just gazed. But as he re-angled his face slightly, she noticed that the expression on his face was not dissimilar from the smile that Kaya had given the social worker moments earlier. A smile that said, Come on, you don't think I'm not serious, do you? Can we do it now? Kaya asked, almost eagerly. I'd rather not be out of it when they take the baby away. I'm assuming this is a narcotic haze you would like to survive, the doctor asked, already heading for one of the cabinets at the other side of the private hospital room. To be honest with you, doctor, I'm really not sure. If you're the wrong kind of person, uncertainty is an uncomfortable place to be. But you can make it more comfortable, give it leather sofas and things like that. This, he paused, again spinning on his heels to reveal a medicated bag of heroin, is the Lazy Lass Decliner 2000. You don't talk like a doctor, Kaya said, or act like one. Ignoring the remark, the man continued. Although a comfortably uncomfortable zone is something that you're going to want to get out of eventually. It gets all lumpy. You don't want that. But I'm sure you've got plenty of other pivotal zones up in that pretty little head of yours. Nothing lumpy there. Well, that's not quite true, is it? There was a pause. Kaya didn't quite know how to respond, but her next action was utterly instinctive, and it was something that moments earlier she didn't think she'd be able to do until joint number six. She started laughing, and so did he. His was a deep, throaty chuckle. All of a sudden, that chuckle stopped, and his voice became more of a nasal whisper. Should we get on with this? He asked. Kaya nodded, still laughing. When the man had hooked everything up, he began to gaze at her again, this time with some sort of deeper recognition. I like your choice of name, he gestured with his head to the cot ahead of them. It was my great-grandmother's, apparently. That's what Gramps told me, said Kaya. Well, it's beautiful, he said, pulling back the syringe and flicking it. Rolls off the tongue. Thank you, Kaya said. I hope she goes to a good family. I'll see you when you wake up. What do you mean? <laughs> Where is that even going to be? He started laughing again. Wherever you like. Who knows, you could open your eyes and we could be on board an Aquitanian battle cruiser traveling through space at the speed of light. The speed of thought, even. Depends on your preference. I'm flexible. In that moment, she really did truly believe the words he was saying. Somehow, she just knew he was telling the truth, that everything was going to be alright. She also believed him when she said he was flexible, as his body was that of a gymnast, or some kind of art of motion. You're really a doctor? She asked, softly. Of sorts, he said, before turning away briskly and heading for the exit. While walking, he added, Now go to the land of the sand and say hi to the man for me. I gave him a dream to give to you. 
Please tell me who you are before I pass out, Gaius said, wheezing slightly. He paused just before opening the door, turning his head slightly without looking back. Someone else who needs you. If. And here he paused, as if he was actually trying to find the right words. He raised a finger, head on moving. If we can bring you back to you. And with that he was gone. And it was just in that moment that the morphine kicked in. Kaya turned her head to the left and regarded her newborn, her sleeping angel, her tiny chest rising and falling. I'll see you again, my child, she said. I'll see you again. It's never easy, but it's one of the best decisions I ever made. It was either that or waste away in my own subjective ascendance. Of course, it can be more than just a little overwhelming to know how to get started. Buzzsprout can help you launch your podcast professionally and in style, linking you with all of the major podcasting platforms such as Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and much, much more. Join us up in the buzzing, sprouting podcast cloud to breathe in the renowned analytical sound of the accurate analysis and promotion tools provided. Follow the link in the show notes below to start your journey and receive a $20 Amazon gift card. We're waiting for you. Buzzsprout, the best and excitingly prettiest way to start a podcast.